Hi there, it's uh, Ross here from Football DNA and I'm delighted to be joined by Sally Needham um, that's had over 13 years of experience working for the FA um, and now is currently supporting Sheffield United with the psychosocial work that they're doing at the club and to consult to governing bodies in different sports as well. So yeah, welcome uh, Sally uh, to the to the call and yeah, looking forward to having a chat chat with you. Yeah, hiya Ross, you all right? Yeah, all good, all good, thank you. So um, really today um, we're going to be covering um, neuroscience um, and the nervous system and getting into a little bit more of an understanding around the brain, which I think for coaches um, can be quite daunting because, you know, I think when you go through those traditional courses whilst you touch on it and um, it's never really gone into much detail and sort of really intrigued by your journey and how you've got to where you are and and hopefully getting some, some support and advice on how coaches can get a bit more of an understanding around it so yeah. uh, do you want to just talk a little bit around kind of how you've gone from being a coach to now the work that you're you're doing and a little bit more into your journey yeah I think um, I think you touched on it uh, quite good then really about uh, understanding more depth so I was very fortunate that, um, like you said, I've been at the FA for 13 years and um, I was part of the skills programme, the um, uh, programme with 5211s that got put into the FA and um, started there and really fortunate that as it evolved um, and the courses evolved, um, we did some youth awards stuff, uh, which were really kind of changed a little bit of my coaching for definite and then I was very fortunate that um, Pete Sturgis who was National 511 uh, decided that he put five of us from the skills program onto the pilot of the advanced youth award so we got put on um, for 5 to 11s and looked at the advanced youth award and went through that that journey and I was interested I wasn't interested in the psych and social as much before that and then after that when I went back to the skills program and started delivering some of the things with the with the children between five and eleven, um, and the staff that I was working with, we just seemed to the children just seemed to be flourishing in front of us, both as children and as footballers, really. So I wanted to start. I, I wanted to know the how and the why. So why creating a certain environment or doing certain things got these outcomes out and. I'd sit in some things at work and we might have like an emotion, a, a, a motivational speaker come in about resilience or something, a mood changer. And I sit there and I go, I get it, but how and why is that? And like, what, what is happening below the surface? So at the time, um, I was coaching actually at um, Chef United at the girls at RTC. And we had a player there and I kept coming home and I, in some some weeks I'd come home and I were, I'd be in tears and I'm thinking just can't connect with her I'm not getting through to her she's so disruptive behavior she hates me I don't really like her and I'd come home and I'm like and I'd be crying and luckily uh, one of my best friends at the time had just got what started working for a company called Thrive and it's Thrive Approach and she just said to me you need to look at things a little bit differently and so I went and did the a course in Thrive Approach and it basically uses the latest in neuroscience, in social attachment and then understanding about child development through how the brain grows and behaviours and learning and all that kind of thing and so I went and did that and it's, it's, it's there for practitioners working in primary schools really um, with children that have some emotional and social 
um, interruptions and need some more development in that stage. As, as great as the children can't even get through the door at school and then how then they settle to learn and how they're sitting in class and how they've been relationships. So I went and did this course and for the last, then now, probably two years after that, um, started looking at it with our National Five Solomons Manager really and looking at it all and went and did a master's to then apply and get some research into applying this element of child development to the game of football, looking at it in how we apply it to application, knowledge and trialled and errored it for probably 18 months um, through, like I said, my master's and going and doing some stuff in clubs and getting feedback to a point where last January, I think February time, I delivered um, the content on the Advanced Youth Award. Um, and that's kind of where I've gone. So it's really has just evolved. And then, like you said, I've um, left now the FA and fortunate that Chef United are a forward thinking academy and wanted to look at it. So I've gone in there to try and apply the neuroscience into and change a little bit of the angle of some of the coaching and do it through a coach education program. Um, and yes, yeah, so that's where I'm at. Still learning loads about it. It's um, a really new field. Um, not much has been done in, in football. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's helped that I've got a coaching background um, with my coaching qualifications. It definitely helped me. This understanding all this definitely helped me when I did then my A licence after my AYA, which were great to then get the, the, the other side of it as well, but still look at the psych and social. So, yeah, so that's where I'm at. So really enjoying it at the minute. Very much my head's just totally in this now instead of jumping which is what I wanted. So, so yeah, and loving it, loving the work at Chef Night with the with the coaches are so engaging. So it's doing really well. So loving it. Brilliant. Thanks for sharing. And I think, yeah, it's a really cool journey, the fact that you've gone from a real coaching role and then gone into the academic route, you know, rather than the other way around. So that experience, I suppose, has provided a real base for you and something you can you sort of reflect upon and kind of look at from your own side. Obviously, sometimes it's gone... The other way around so how has that been beneficial do you think doing it that way rather than sort of going academic into experience you know yeah do you know what I I when anybody asked me about my route I don't know if it's luck or I don't know what's happened but doing my advanced youth award before my year license was brilliant so that in a sense of AYA before my year license I felt there was so much more ready then for my year license um, going then now into the academic route, so hopefully start my prof doc in, in March, it's, I, I, I like the application side of it. So when I sit in some things with it, with when I've gone into some conferences, there's very much academic and academia this side. And then you've got the practitioners that sit across. So I kind of feel like I'm sitting somewhere in the middle. So I'm liking the, 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 the research but every time you read a bit of research there's always something that then comes against it and I think mm. you've just got to find where things sit and fit for you but be, be still critical and open to challenge things and to look at things and I do think it's helped I think the writing of it's hard and I wish that we'd be able to write it a little bit easier for to be able to understand it for practitioners but yeah it's, it's I never would have thought I said the other day I never would have thought I'd have gone into the academic side but it really is. It's I've, I've really enjoyed putting the the academics 
world and things about the neuroscience attachment theory and theories, applying it and then built, pulling it all together. So my last piece was done like through a appreciation. So I did it as a storytelling um, element of putting the foundation phase in uh, neuroscience into foundation phase at Sheffield United. And I really enjoyed it, but I think you've got to um, find an area that you're really interested about. And if you can apply it and then get the science behind it and keep on learning about it and challenging it, I think that's the way forward. So yeah, I've been very lucky, but I think it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. It's just sent to drop in the right places. Brilliant, good. Well, it'll be interesting to see where it where it goes too. So, so I suppose you've mentioned the word neuroscience quite a bit. For anyone that's not really aware of that or is intrigued by that, what I mean, what is neuroscience? How would you define it? Give us a little uh, bit more of an explanation around it. I think it's a scary word for a lot of people. Mm. Um, I think people get put off by it. So apologies if that's already happened. But I think for me, you have to. It's such a broad word and the term term that can scope loads of different fields and disciplines I think for me in my head I just note I just get it right in my head out of a sense of it's all around the brain and the body how that's connected and how we understand around the nervous system um, and how that connects into the brain and I look at it from then how that impacts on behavior how that impacts on learning on our ability to be in relationship with each other in connection and then lately obviously more into performance side of it as well but it's the neuroscience word can overstretch quite a lot of fields so for my for me personally in my head to get what I see it as is just a, an understanding of the body and the brain especially the nervous system and how it works together for learning behavior connection and performance fantastic and you sort of spoke about their um understanding the the brain and nervous system so for coaches then you know working at any level why why is understanding the brain and the nervous system so important um it gives you um i i, I talk around this so if you know if you think about wembley um wembley's beautiful surface it's probably not a great surface when um, the NFL's been or whether there's been a concert on it. So the grass gets trodden down. Enable for the grass to regrow because they don't lay Wembley that many times a year or that many times in, throughout in, in, in years is the fact that they've got really good soil and also the groundsmen are really passionate about the grass and they care for it and they put lights in it and it regrows. So for me... Understanding around the nervous system, the body and brain is understanding around the soil level. And if we understand around what's going on below the surface, we can help support the children above the surface within them as children, but also in performance and noticing behaviours of what's happening in front of his eyes. But also we can understand through some practice and through our behaviours themselves, especially with our younger children more, but... Um, through our current, so being in relationship with, with, with the players, we can help to strengthen our soil. So the more strength and rich soil we've got, the more they can cope with demands of life and the demands of the game. So understanding what's below our surface enables us then to see things above the surface that's slightly different and a bit of a reframe. So we tend to go, oh, they're attention-seeking children. Well, they're not really. They're either probably trying to have some attachments 
to you, they're trying to get some attunement with you, or they're trying to get in connection with you. So when we look at behaviours differently and what happening below the surface to then what behaviours come out, we'll then, and sometimes I did a workshop last night and there was about challenging behaviours and I said, if you change it to distress behaviour and you understand that the children, some behaviours, their nervous system, their brain isn't thinking and in fight, flight or freeze, so distress, we look at the behaviour slightly differently and how we then approach it and what we then say and our body language and our tone and our facial expressions will be slightly different. Mm. So I think that's why it's so important that we understand what's going off below the surface to one help above the surface, but also to enrich what is below the surface for them as children. Brilliant. And I think probably those more traditional views of coaching is I'm the coach, I'm taking control, it's my session, you have to do what I ask for. I suppose by having a better understanding of why children may behave in certain ways, it's going to help you to then maybe kind of take a bit of a step back and become a little bit more redundant as a coach and actually start working out how you can support them in that way too. Yeah, um, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a quote that I use and I put on our whiteboard at Sheffield United and it's, it, I don't know who said it actually, so it's not my quote, so, <laughs> but the, I put it up about connection before correction. So if the children, you are, if you are in connection with them and they feel safe, then you can then do the, the technical. If they are not in connection or not feeling safe, their ability to think, to learn, to plan, to reflect, to make good decisions, to problem solve is not there. So we can think we're going to do this really good um, session that is high decision making, high problem solving, to challenge them because that's what the game needs. If they are not safe and we're not in connection with them, that, that ability to process that learning isn't there. They're just surviving through it. So there's the element of when you can, um, when you are just reactive to the ball or when you actually are solving the problem to so then be proactive with it. Fantastic. I suppose for those coaches that um, maybe don't really know so much about the brain, like me, um, <laughs> I, I know there's lots of different uh, models um, out there. For, I suppose, have you got a model that you work for that you think is, works nicely in football and for those that maybe want just a bit of a basic understanding around the brain and how it works and maybe how they can then look to adapt that, under, no, I suppose, knowledge to then how they convey it to their players? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, we are just really starting to touch the surface about the brain and things are coming out all the time about the brain and the body and the, the field is evolving. So what we know now, maybe, I don't know, in 10, 15 years might have changed and we might know so much or we might disagree, but I got trained in the, the, the model of the triune brain, which is an evolution model, really. It's a simplistic model in a sense of we know that the brain and the nervous system is a complex it's so complex and like I said we don't know hardly know anything about it really that the triune brain talks around three parts of your brain so a bottom-up approach um, and I use that because as I said I got trained in it it's the easiest way for me to explain it to coaches um, but there's loads of different models out there so Steve Peters used the chimp paradox model there's a, a, a model called in the Merit Centre in Canada. They use a red and red and blue. But basically, mine is a, the model I use, and it's it's a simplistic model of a complexity. That the fact that you have your brainstem, your limbic system, and then your thinking brain, 
and your brain stem and your limbic system, so your bottom two parts of your brain, has come from evolution. And they've got certain things in that kit that we really can't, we can't take it out. So we have to understand it to work with it um, instead of it kind of overriding our thoughts and emotions and feelings. So then we've got then the thinking brain. And if all three parts are working, our children are regulated, they are safe, they are um, thinking, problem solving, decision making, everything that I said. And we've got a, and there's a, a theory that I, I look at and I use a little bit in my work and it's called the polyvagal theory. It's Stephen Porges's work. And he proposed this theory in 1994, but it didn't come to fruition until 2009, 2011. It's used a lot in trauma and in medicine and, and um, counseling and that side of, of it. But at the minute, we are going through really a trauma. So we are really coming into a trauma-informed world anyway. So but he, he talks around um, the polyvagal theory. And at the bottom of our brain, we have got a what's called the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve goes into our major organs and runs at the bottom of our gut. So when they talk around gut feeling, it's your, your safety mechanism in your body and your brain telling you something that's happening. So it's a, an emotional chemical release. Um, and it's all done through your subconscious awareness, through a term um, called neuroception. So you're taking in threats from outside of the world, inside of your body through experiences of how you felt before or what's being said to you. And it's all done through, like I said, neuroception. And so understanding the models of the brain and the polyvagal theory and how it connects your body and your brain together, I think is pivotal. And it's really interesting that a lot of threat comes from your face and your tone so a lot is from your eyes to your mouth so I'll say a lot to the player the, the coaches around what's your face saying to your players because you you've got a you've got a um a role that you can either heighten defensive behaviors so they can tip quite quickly or you can give a lot of really good cues of safety which then puts them in there we call it the green zone so it puts them in their green zone where they are up for relationships all their brain and their bodies working and and safe and then we can push them as children and as performers and as players fantastic so i suppose for for coaches i mean then therefore their behaviours is really important if they want to make kids feel safe and feel like they can do all these different things and put them in a really, really good place. So I suppose it always comes back to understanding self and understanding who you are, how you are conveyed and how you're perceived. Um, so if for any coaches that maybe want to have a greater influence on that and you know maybe look at how they can uh, adapt or change their behaviors as a coach what, what sorts of things would you try and support them with I don't, I don't know if you've from your work as a tutor and know what you're doing at Sheffield United can give us maybe an insight into some of the things that you might do for coaches yeah so a couple of things around that is one you have to start to look at yourself in the mirror <laughs> we don't really do much of so we don't really what we, we don't really see each other's faces even more so now because of the masks but start to know about the faces and be curious around when they say something and what happens with that child when you say a certain thing or your tone and how you use your 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 up and down in your volume so your prostate but the thing for me as well is 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 you cannot regulate a child if you're dysregulated so 
for a child to be regulated, the adult needs to be regulated. So I speak heavily around arrival activities. So arrival activities have got so much more in them than I think that, that really people know. So for one, we have an innate need to play. So it activates our play in our brain, which helps to then regulate through our nervous system. So massively important to get us into that state for learning. Two, um, play, sorry, I've lost my train of thought then. Um, play and then it enables, so research shows us that 10 to 15 minutes of play is massive for um, increasing behaviour, but decreasing, sorry, increasing learning and decreasing behaviour. So 10-15 minutes is perfect for them to get involved. It also helps them get into connection with each other. The major thing for me is it helps us give us, because normally there's a team coming off at seven and we're on at eight. So it gives us time as coaches to get set up. But if we've rushed from work, or we just had an argument on the way here, or we're feeling a bit thing, it gives us that 10, 15 minutes to get ourselves set up and to sense in and to regulate ourselves. Because again, through neuroception, the children out of their conscious awareness will pick up on your defensive or your threat. So if you're feeling anxious and threatened, then the children's threat detection will already be on her guard. It's a natural thing through evolution. And a lot of children, when they're new into football, will go into a session, they'll come back and sit on the parent's knee or the guardian's knee or who's took them. And then they'll sit there for two minutes and they'll go back into the session. That's their bodies neurologically regulating themselves through connection with their primary caregivers or something that they feel safe with. So we can regulate each other, not by even like being in touch or... So I think the arrival activities for me enables the coach to get them in the right system and activate them ready for learning and behaviour before we even get into the session. Understanding ourselves with our face, our sensing to our body, what we say and be curious about what happens with our behaviours. So yeah, it's and it's just a change of narrative sometimes. So I think my role, especially at Sheffield at the minute as well, is, is just putting some different perspective on. So what we always say or what we always do or what we always think, if you change a bit of the lens on it or give a different perspective, gives you something to then think about. Brilliant. I suppose for you know, thinking about that, that those arrival activities and playing, I guess it sort of lends itself more to kind of that more unstructured approach and giving kids the opportunity to play in chaos and experience stuff and create that sort of playground environment, um, which I suppose comes away a little bit from that traditional coaching side. Um, and, and people may feel like they're not coaching by doing that. What, how, what advice would you give to coaches that are maybe concerned on how that may be perceived by the people they're working with them parents etc i think a couple of things so we work on structure boards so the boys come in they know what they're doing tonight in a structure board on timing so you're creating some psychological safety you're also creating some structure then what we've done is we've done we've done peer-led arrivals we've done uh, coach-led arrivals in in when they're starting to go into like 12s, 13s, 14s, 15s, we've done a lot about choice. So you pick your arrival. So a lot of the, uh, when you're in adolescent brain, there's a lot of structure already in schooling. So giving them more choice and ownership um, through the adolescent brain phases is brilliant. So yeah, so 
it's not a case of you can do all the structure stuff all the time. If you set some structure of a structure board and you set some boundaries to start with, it allows for more creativity. So the more of them then doing an arrival that's unstructured, they set their own challenges, they do all the problem solving, or it might be something that leads into a session. So you can use it however you want to use it. The premises of the fact of in, in the whole thing of it is they need it, it gets them ready for learning, stops a lot of behaviour, gets them into connection with the teammates and resilience is all around, in a team spot, resilience is all around relationships and it helps us to sense in. How you won't work with it and you tailor it might be slightly different every week. But I think choice is really good as well for ownerships. This is your choice tonight. You either do soccer, tennis or you make your own game up. You've got four cones and a ball. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so great strategies uh, there. So, you know, I think that that will certainly help coaches and provoke thought around how they can use that time when they're arriving, but also that the benefit yeah. of that um, too. I think, I think the structure bar as well, just sorry, Ross, but I think the structure bar as well stops it, stops one of these things that I get asked about a lot. What we're doing tonight, we're playing at the weekend, what we're doing after this. So some children will will need to know what's coming because uncertainty is not good for children, especially in the in the world that we are now. There's massive uncertainty. So more that if they come in, some children will run into our session and not need it, but some children will come in, we'll check the, the structure board, they'll know what's coming tonight and then they can join in the session. When we then set to children, just concentrate on the session, I'll tell you in a minute, their thinking brain's not there. So they're in the other bit of their brain either fight, flight or freeze mode, worrying about what's coming next. So they can't focus and concentrate on the session that's going to be or the, get, or the task that you've just gave them. So, again, structure boards and safety and arrival just linked massively to getting them ready for what they are because we do have that a lot, what we're doing tonight, what we're doing later. <laughs> you throwing them out, oh, we're playing next. So it enables them to focus and to settle, which is massive for their learning. Brilliant. And... So I, mean, I know you sort of spoke at the beginning, obviously a lot of your experience initially was with those age groups of five to 11 and that sort of ignited some, uh, I suppose, interest around the brain and, and kind of children in those younger age groups particularly are very expressive and inquisitive and ask lots of questions, you know, and, and love attention. Um, so now you're kind of working with older players at, at Sheffield United. Can you just give us a little bit of a a brief overview of kind of those different stages that children will go through and what kind of things will need to be considered, I suppose, in terms of the brain and the nervous system. Yeah. I know that's probably a really heavy thing, but I don't know if there's anything that you could kind of summarise the, the different stages um, in any way. Yeah. I'm not a big lover of the phases names. Okay. So like foundation phase, YDP, PDP, I think sometimes the kids are all in different stages, which we know anyway. So they're like either there's certain behaviours that I feel that are start to emerge and then some of them securing and then they're performing it and developing it. The foundation phase come in and I've noticed and we've had this conversation is they come in and they are so engaged and they're excitable, which we know around and the learnings take place and they're, they're talkative and you've got ones that are quiet and all that stuff and it's it's a buzz field we get to the ydp or when they start transi transitioning and i'm looking at it, it's fascinating me in the minute of the adolescent <laughs> stuff so the boys obviously go more peer led which we know and so that element of as well they've got all the other stuff that's externally factors changing so primary school they don't really have 
Monday maths, you know, nine till 10, that's every week. You know, it, the structure's not as structured. When they get to senior school, they'll know what's coming in the timetable. Parents tend to change in their attitude towards them. So they get their own transport there or it's, you're at big school now, you need to grow up. So we have that elements of all that different changes where really the YDP should just be an extension of what they get in the foundation phase. And because they're going through so much brain development, it's a massive point for optimal learning. But at the minute, I feel like we're not giving enough choice, enough ownership to them. Um, and they're going through so much neurological changes that we need to work with that instead of working against it. The more stresses they've got, the more they spiral down. So performance, well-being, learning drops off. So if we can understand the science in that phase a little bit more and look at it slightly differently from a child development point of view, then we can work with them spirals to kind of upskill them even more. I think when you then come to the when they're signed and they're in their 18s or 23s, you've got so much else going on with them. They still want to know the safety. You've got all the elements of what you've just put through. But then there's differences of getting them ready for when they go out on loans or behaviours that they've got to maybe display for to be in connection then with the first team. And so there's, there's, still, there's still the fundamentals of wanting to feel safe, the structure, the connection, the relationships, the language that we use, all, all of it is underpinned that. Um, but then what comes above that within changes in their schooling and where they are in their stage development, then is slightly different. But the brain has first three years of life's pivotal. Then when they get to adolescence, there's another pivotal stage. And then the brain not settle down till mid to late 20s. So we're still in such a massive thing. And, you know, when players come from a different club, their transition period, and we had a big meeting last week and it's something that we're looking at and some bit of research just come out on it that the transition period between the ages of 12 to 13 in the academy setup is the strongest, is the biggest transition period for stress. Mm. Also, there's, so we need to look at, and I got this quite a bit, is, it's, how it is, it takes them to Christmas to settle in. Well, the mate lost army hours and weeks of development because if they're not in their thinking brain for a two-hour session and they're all in it for 20 minutes, for that day, you've got 20 minutes of learning. So where could they be? So I think that from when they're transitioning into PDP, it's the first transition of if they move from a different club or, or they move location from London, Ireland, Wales, wherever, then... It's how we transition them in so that psychological safety is there, connection starts to be there. So we're doing some little bits of different stuff, like we've put some different things in, which um, I'll be curious to see if they work with the players and we've got a few other bits. But yeah, and also understanding what's coming through. So we've just set up a leadership group for them to understand experiences that how they've had with the transitions. The transitions peers across is, is massive. Yeah, and I, I think you, you sort of touched on, you know, the the at 12 to 13, and that typically leads into when they go from mini soccer into 11 v 11 as well. And I suppose potentially there's more of an emphasis on the result and team performance at those age groups, which is still quite bizarre because of their, their age and them being so young. What, what sorts of things can coaches do then to extend 
that vibrant, buzzy atmosphere that's created at the younger age groups? How can they make sure that's continued through as they start to enter that teenage period? Um, I think carrying on everything that they're doing. Yeah. So it's just going well, they're at this phase now, so we change it. So, you know, the being in connection with them, the having the structure, but everything the same. But in the when it comes to then the YDP, they need to have a little bit more ownership and a bit more leadership in the sense of they are peer-led. So I get the fact that um, we get that all oh, the communications a big word that gets used quite a lot throughout football. And if then they are not speaking in the adolescent stages or we don't give them things in the adolescent stages where their brain and nervous system is going through so much, we then expect them just to have it when they come into under 18s. Mm. So we expect them to be able to go to the analysis team and ask them around what the performance like and kind of look at this or go to the coach and ask around that or be be do extra learning and have more ownership and take more leadership roles on the on the fit pitch and look at their communication how it affects other teammates. But we tend to do we tend to sometimes in the YDP not foster that as much. Um, I'm not saying it everywhere, but we need to foster what they're bringing from the foundation phase, enhance that, but also know that they're very much peer-led and peer shame. So the more that the peers are in relationship with each other and driving the sessions and enforcing the behaviours if they're not working hard enough or if they're late for training or whatever, but actually then understanding why that might be happening for the, the children and being able to read off cues and triggers. And know that the big thing for me is, and this is what I've found, is throughout their journeys, understanding what's going off below the surface for them as players and children is vitally important. We're in a world now where we have bad and good emotions and feelings, and they're not. They're just emotions and feelings. To experience love and joy, you've got to experience anxiety and stress. The problem with stress is, is when you're in a prolonged state of stress is the bad chemicals that then erode your brain and your nervous system. But actually sitting down with some of the players and going, it's not you, it's what's on below the surface. And you know what? When you go play in the FA Youth Cup or when you go play perceived bigger club or you go in abroad to a tournament, it's okay to feel like that. Because you know what? I feel like that when I'm presenting on a conference and there's 3,000 people in front of me. It's what's in your brain and your body, but understanding your emotions and feelings, that's what's getting you um, ready for that experience. And the more that we can work with it and understand it, the better it is. So some emotional regulation and check-ins for them across the thing and understanding that this is normal. The thing you've got when they're in an elite environment, sometimes they're reluctant to speak up because if they then speak up, is it a sense of, oh, I'm not, I, I shouldn't be in this event because I can't cope with it. But we've got an issue with boys in particular um, and an issue with suppressing emotions, which then just seem to come out later on with the mental health and everything else. So, yeah, so I think it's, 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 the, it's the understanding of the changes in the brain, understanding that what we do here should be an extension. The kids, the, the players still want it, still want the social. I prop a list of boys, what do you want in the PDP? Social activities, it was. Uh, can we do some, um, you know, um, bubble football? Can we go and do paintballing? Can we do this? They want the social time. Um, 
we saw it with pro-crumb social interaction. So the more we can get into pro-social behaviours, and like I said, team resilience rests fundamentally on relationships. Individual resilience is slightly different. We're in a team sport. The more they are connected with us as coaches, with them as teammates, the more. So it's not a case of just going out there in the YDP now and it's about the football and wherever. It should just be an extension and work with the science to understand that their brain and their body's developing. And the more that they can be in connection, the better we're going to get on performance. Fantastic. And you spoke about the need for connection, need for relationships. I suppose now we're in a almost 12 months of and what well, it seems like a bit of a new normal, but 12 months of being in a, in a lockdown. What, what kind of ramifications do you think that will have for them for children, young adults in uh, their football, but also in terms of the, the cognitive and neuroscience and, and, you know, what sorts of things should coaches consider when they're returning back with their, their players? Oh God, that's a big long question, that Ross. Not to re- <laughs> reprompt me on a couple of things. So, yeah. couple of things for me is this: that um, we don't do well in uncertainty, and we have got masses of uncertainty. They'll have gone through a period of loss and uncertainty beforehand. They've got back into some kind of unnormal normal, and then it stopped all again. So what they perceived are uh, emotions and things that they've gone through that will then start to be coming out again, even more heightened. So some children, I can't, I can't see how nobody will get, will have been affected by it. I think everybody will be in some way, um, some positive bits and some negative bits or however you want to word it. But the children that at the minute, I wasn't with Sheffield United in the first lockdown. They did a great interaction programme through Zooms and they tried to keep the structure. So big thing for me is trying to keep the structure. So if you coach on a Wednesday night at seven o'clock while eight, still have a Zoom session, seven o'clock while eight. So, and do something with quiz. So do a quiz, do something about getting to know them as children, getting to know them as players. We're just going to send out some connection, some wristbands for them all. So they're going to get a wristband um, of the club colours that they're going to make and a, a card from the coaches just to basically say to them that we're thinking about you, we're here, we're doing the Zooms anyway, but literally it's a transitional object which helps for regulation. So some of our children, the maybe that Chip United and their coach is one of the most pivotal players in their regulation system. Mm. So there's loads of stuff. Um, you will have a, probably in the next eight, seven, eight years prediction, this is only prediction, that we'll probably have children with more anxious traits because through epigenetics, the the women that have gave birth through um, the the lockdown periods haven't been able to have much contact with partners because they've had to give birth, only had had a perfume partner with them for when they've actually in labour. So I've been through that process with my best friend. Um, They've had masks on, so they're a member without threat. So cues and signs of safety. The children, the babies will have seen that as well. So I think we're going to have more anxious traits coming out in the next eight years. I think for me, if you're trying to keep a structuring connection through a, through the COVID and the lockdown bit, that is brilliant. The more we can get to know them as children. So what you are doing neurologically is you're showing and you're activating the care system that, that you're, you're being seen, you belonged. There's a really good website called Edutopia that does loads of things. I just shared it with our coaches earlier, actually, around online connection and learning. 
Um, and then the thing for me is, is um, knowing what's coming. So we send out a two-week programme, but if I were to say, going coaching my local team and the lockdown finished on Friday, on the Tuesday, the night before, I would say, really looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. This is what's going to be happening. We'll, we're training, we'll meet at six, t- six till 10 arrival, 10 till 6.50 game, 6.50 uh, till seven, check out um, and at uh, home time. And then in the morning, I'd be, morning, really looking forward to seeing you tonight. Remember, this is the structure. And as soon as they come in, there'd be a structure board there. So you're creating an element of you're giving them to know what's coming. Because at the minute, we, we don't know what's coming. Think plans are changing so quickly. So we need to try to downgrade the defensive behaviours and anxiousness and upgrade their, their safety mechanism and their um, bodily kind of emotions and feelings for connection. Fantastic. That's some brilliant advice. And I think for any coach there's probably a, a feeling of apprehension you know just because no one knows what it's going to look like when we return but also you, you're concerned you know around the ramifications it's going to have on the children and their families and how that may impact upon you so I think that the giving structure and, and preempting kind of what they're to expect is really really important and likewise I think as you alluded to earlier giving them the opportunity to play to reconnect with their, their friends and having that that time in their sessions where they can do that yeah. uh, is important and there'll be a sense I guess of, of people feeling like they've missed out a lot over the past the past year yeah and that's one of the things I've been really interested by is actually well whilst they've missed out of potentially years of training what, what sorts of things do you think that children have been able to get in in replacement of that you know is that do is there been a, things that do you feel like it's all lost or is, do you think that children have been able to gain other skills that, you know uh, in that in that period um it depends yeah it depends so if i give you an example my niece well 11 weeks premature um went to school not really ready to settle to learn she wasn't really have enough good stress response system settle and learn so they call it you know can't sit still well, an undeveloped stress response system can't sit still to learn. Um, she wasn't ready to go. Uh, so the first lockdown did her wonders because she was in with her mum every day. She's playing. She was doing a little bit of work, but she's got two older brothers and sisters. When she went back, she loved it. So, you know, she got a benefit of going back, uh, to, back to later to school when probably she should have started school because... In a way, 11 weeks premature, trauma. She's probably six months behind in her development. So she shouldn't have gone when she should have gone. So it worked in favour for her. Um, but with some children, if they are not safe in their environment at home, then it will have heightened their stress response and will have had a negative effect on their brain and their nervous system. We have gone through periods of loss. Um, but I lost my grandma three years ago. So when I go through a period of loss now, so like loss of routine, it affects me, but it doesn't affect me like that loss did. Children's loss in their brain and their nervous system, we have exactly the same brain at loss. But what they perceive to a loss, if they've not had that major loss at young, might be when they lose the favourite toy or something, it's like World War Three, you know, has just started. So they've, they've gone through a loss of... Um, loss of structure, loss of schooling, maybe a loss of a family um, in COVID. 
everything else that's going on. Um, and then they've got the anxiety of, I wonder what school's going to be like when I get back, or I wonder if he's going to still be my friend when I get back, or I wonder if, and especially if they've changed teachers again now. So we have connection with one teacher and then, and they do the transition days at, at school, but for me, they're not long enough. We need more transition days. But so they've, they've all got all that going on in their loss and their grief and their brain and their bodies. And I just think development wise, football development wise, um, if they've had a really good um, time and emotional time in lockdown, and we only need 30% to be good enough. We're in a world that we need to be perfect. Good enough is good enough. So 30% is the fact that they will have had some enrichment of their soil, which means when they come back to football, if we give them the elements of the connection and the play and we activate in their, in their green zone, then they're learning anyway the game. If they haven't had a good experience of the lockdown, we need to give them exactly the same things to help to actually start to regulate them to then put some more bottom of the soil because their soil might have shrunk. So we need to then start to extend it again. So it's a really hard answer because yeah. <laughs> everybody's so unique. Um, I think the biggest thing, and I think you alluded to it, is we want to then get the development back in. And I said to ours the other day, at the minute, if we're doing things around connection and getting to know them more and getting them ready for the transition period back, when they come back onto the field, they'll have got bigger soil, more resilience, they're in connection, we can push them more. So we're doing kind of the groundwork for the transition periods and for their learning and performance later on. And we should never underestimate what that that has on on children one interaction with somebody that they are in connection with that they love and their trust can change neural development and they only need that one person that one person could be the coach because it's probably something that they've come to in the football to love fantastic that's a really good way i think of finishing it as well because you know it probably highlights the importance of you as coaching coaches out there that are tuning in on this, particularly at this moment in time, what an important role you could go on to, to play. Um, Sally, really, I suppose for anyone that's more interested in um, delving deeper into neuroscience or having a bit of an understanding of brain, have you got anywhere that they could either look into your work or look into um, some more, more readings? I know you mentioned a few polyvagal theory and a few other different uh, pieces of work. Um, have you got anything that you could recommend? I won't go polyvagal theory so soon, uh, unless you've got a really good understanding of the broad in the brain. Uh, <laughs> My first uh, point, I can't even say it correctly. So. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the things I'm going to say uses the theory anyway. They just put it into more of a more of a, a, a layman's terms, and also it enables us to be practi practical. So there's a really good, good book where through Philippa Perry does it with a book I wish my parents had read. She talks around it. Um, Sarah Jane Blakemore uh, in Investing Ourselves, she's the leader in adolescent brains. So she does some really good TED Talks, really good articles, but Investing Ourselves, the book, what a game changer for me. I loved it. Um, there's a book around. So if you coach boys, boys fascinate me. Um, we have the same brain structure and nervous system um, in male and female. Obviously, there's other, other differences, but the way that we through sociological stuff and what we say, um, how we treat boys is different to how we treat girls. So example was, you know, 
my friend were in difficulties, so I ended up having a C-section when she gave birth, and midwives, two of them, male and female, both said, typical boy already. I was like, you wouldn't have said that if it were a girl. So <laughs> it's interesting. So a man called Michael Reichardt does a really good book about how to raise boys through connection, um, and he talks around how that's infiltrated as playing fields and as, as classrooms. Um, there's a really good uh, website I said to her about Edutopia. Uh, Monadella Hook does a really good uh, book around Beyond Behaviours um, and there's some stuff around Settling to Learn and so yeah it's I think it's finding what area you're really interested in because like I said it can go behaviour, it can go learning, it can go everything so my work is very much I ain't got it every, I ain't got it anywhere in the sense of like there's not like bits to go to um, but yeah there's a few bits if you google it or Follow me on Twitter. I retweet a lot of stuff that's for things regarding behaviour and learning and brain and neuroscience and stuff like that. But yeah, no, I think it's finding what you're interested in, what you're curious around, and then going and have a little delve down in it. But happy for people to contact me around it. Awesome. Great stuff. Sally, I think there's some brilliant advice there. And it's really helped me um, get a bit of a better understanding around, okay, what what am I going to do now when I'm returning back to training with my my players and it's certainly an area that I want to delve in a little bit deeper into and I'm sure for a number of coaches that are intrigued that uh, you know into it that you know some of the even some of the recommendations of further readings I think will be really beneficial so thank you so much for, for joining us and I will look forward to hearing and seeing the work that you're doing at Sheffield United and what that leads on to and you know appreciate your, your time. Yeah thanks for having me Ross no at all enjoyed it. Hello everyone, it's Stuart here from Football DNA. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and gained some knowledge. Make sure you check out our website, www.footballdna.co.uk for all your coaching or player development needs. We have over 800 videos on the site covering every section of the game. We have outfield and goalkeeping content from professional coaches on video, along with sports science and nutrition videos for players to become better off the pitch the ultimate platform for coach and player development. Take care and all the best. Sure.